for their latest offers. Hello, good evening and welcome to another edition of Extra Time. My name is Ronan Quirk. We're here until 8 o'clock this evening. We'd love to hear your thoughts and comments. Our text number is 083 311 That number works for WhatsApp messages as well. 083-311-3311 and you can also get us our Twitter handle is at TipFM Sport. Don't forget the Sports Star of the Month nominations for December are coming in. All you have to do is send an email to sportsstar at tipfm.com if you see an accomplishment over the course of the month of December that you think warrants consideration for the Sports Star Award. This is in association with the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel and John Quirk Jewellers in care just send off an email to sportstar at tipfm.com the November winner incidentally was the Mullinahone ladies who won back-to-back county titles back-to-back Munster titles at junior last year's intermediate this year and got to a second All-Ireland final in successive years quite an achievement from somebody for a team moving from junior to intermediate and then right up to senior in successive years uh, 083 311 big news this weekend of course Sean Tobin r- running his first ever marathon in the Atla- Ar- Antarctic ice marathon. Uh, we were in touch with Sean during the day. He's actually in Santiago in Chile at the moment on his way home and wasn't in a position to come on air tonight but we will talk to Sean after that extraordinary achievement to run a marathon in those conditions in under three hours. The fastest time ever ran in those conditions in Antarctica. Um, quite an endurance feat but it bodes well I think for the future year ahead for Sean if he's able to do that at this time of the year. Um, And when you talk about this time of the year you think about, you reflect on things that have happened over the course of the year and I think all Tipperary sports lovers and GA people in particular and the GA family in particular will remember where they were on Friday the 5th of August when they heard the tragic news that emanated from Semple Stadium that Dylan Quirk had passed away on Semple Stadium's field while playing for his beloved Clonelty Ross Moore. His father, Dan, is on the line. Good evening to you, Dan. Good evening, Ronan. How are you all? We're not too bad, Ronan. We're, we're doing the best we can, yeah. We're doing the best. We're trying to be positive. Um, we all know and we're fans of Dylan the Hurler. Maybe you might tell our listeners about Dylan the son, Dylan the brother. Yeah, sure. Look, Dylan was the life and soul of the family, I suppose, and the life and soul of the crack around the parish and within the club. Um, hurling was everything for him. From the moment he got up in the morning till we went to bed at night, was all talking about hurling. Um, <clears throat> I suppose he started hurling. Might he started very young with the club and worked his way up along and finished where he finished. But uh, aside from hurling, he was always on for having all about fun with Dylan, playing jokes on his mother and saying jokes on myself and just having a good time. That's what Dylan was all about, enjoying himself. You know, he enjoyed every bit of the twenty-four years he was with us. I know the family released a video, uh, which I saw recently, uh, a kind of a montage of photos and videos, and I don't think there's one where he isn't smiling. No, no, everybody said the same thing. Anybody, people have spoken to us since the funeral and people were at the funeral. Dylan always had a smile on his face. He never, he, he was always in good form and always had a smile on his face because love it was all, because of that, we'd all had great times with him, you know. I only found out recently about his, how quickly he came into the world, uh, a little early, a little earlier than planned. Yeah, he did. Uh, his mum, Hazel, had an accident on her way down to Pramoy with the business in Pramoy back there a few years ago. And a bad accident actually. Dylan was come into the world six or seven weeks prematurely. And Hazel, had a, she broke her leg, but thankfully we got her, we got her down to the hospital in Cork in time. And yeah, Dylan was born a bit early, all right, but all was good, thank God. 
And he as uh, strong as an ox, I understand, even though he, he was a little bit... Uh, he came yeah, out, he came, yeah, came, yeah, came yeah. into oh, the world was, a little early. Yeah, he was, he was strong, a strong guy. Yeah, strong could guy. you, could you imagine your son without hurling in his life? No, we, no, we couldn't. Any of us couldn't. Any of the family couldn't. No, it was everything to him. Everywhere he went, he'd bring a hurley with him. And if he's in, even if during the day, if he was off from work, whatever, he'd be banging the ball up against the back wall, or he'd go down to the hurling field. And if he met a few kids, it was all about hurling with him. And he loved, he loved playing with kids. He was mad about kids. And, they were all mad about him, which was great. You know, neighbours and friends, it was all about hurling. And he, he, I know that he had the myocarditis in 2019 and he made a recovery from that. At any point, did you ever have have to have a conversation about what if your hurling chapter ends or that hurling part of your life has to end? No, no, no. That was never mentioned because I suppose really we never, we never knew how bad the situation was, even though he was checked on different occasions when he was with Tip and with the, with the club here. A couple of times a year, everything seemed to be going fine. So that that never came up. We never we never thought anything like that would come up. I never realised how bad the situation was until, until it was too late, unfortunately, you know. And those checks and the reassurances you got from medics, um, do you reflect on that now and, 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 you know, wonder a lot about the what-ifs in relation to those checks? I, I suppose we do, we do. But, I mean, going forward, that doesn't bring poor Dylan back, you know. And um, we got the checks, and everything seemed to be going fine. And he was told, we were told that 99% of guys that get this myocarditis will make a full recovery. And he seemed to be making a full recovery, even though he'd often be tired. And he so he got shingles, he got mumps, he got different things between 19 and when he passed. And mm. in hindsight, I suppose there were all little issues there, but we didn't realise the serious at the time, you know. Uh, I suppose one thing that people might have only found out over the weekend, there was an article in The Independent, uh, which we'll come to in a minute, but he had an MRI really close to the time that he passed away. He and did. Those, yeah, those he results did. only came to light almost afterwards. That's right. He had an MRI a couple of days before the Kilwan match. And we didn't get the results until the, until the following Tuesday, I think we got the results, yeah. And was he symptomatic that triggered that M- uh, MRI? Yeah, he had a couple of little issues in, in the previous month or six weeks, just a little bit of dizziness. So that's we, we, at that stage, and we said we'd go and get it checked out. But everything, he did an ECG, he did an echo, and did a treadmill test, and everything seemed, to come, everything seemed to come back fine. But the MRI obviously showed up something different, you know. And I suppose, you know, if events hadn't unfolded the way they had, would that MRI, do you think, have been the curtain on his, in, well, certainly his inter-county career maybe, but maybe his hurling career in general? Well, we were led to believe by the, professionals, the consultants that Dylan would never hold again actually, you know. Yeah. He wouldn't hold with he wouldn't do any kind of sport. So his life would have been terrible, God bless him, if he did if he did live, you know. There was no like there was no way back for him. He couldn't hold, as I said, even to go if he had kids God bless him, to go for a run, whatever, he couldn't do that like. Because that bad, you know, unfortunately that's the way it was. But again we didn't know it at the time, you know. And I think a lot of our listeners tonight will be listening to this thinking that a lot of his his symptoms were quite, um, they were quite routine or, you know, we all get dizziness from time to time, Dan, and, you know, sometimes we feel a bit off and, you know, we can be a bit run down and get shingles, get mumps. You know, there's they were very non-specific. They were, you're right, you know, exactly. And that's, that's what we thought also. We didn't, we never, we never thought it was serious. Um, but again, I suppose we just didn't know. We just didn't know. And that's, that's why we've, we're doing what we're doing at the mm. minute, just to try and, get that sorted going forward for, for kids and so on, you know. I'll come to the foundation in just a second, but I, you know, and it's a difficult question to ask, but 
where have you sought solace? There was a huge outpouring of grief around the county. There was, I think, strong ties developed between yourselves and Kilroan as a result of the club. Um, Where have you found solace or have you been able to find any solace? I guess we have. I'd say the support we've got from our own club, from all the clubs in Tipperary and from all over the country, the mistress support we've got were incredible. And we're still getting them and it's over four and a half months. So really, that has kept us going. And as I said, we're a family that this glass is always half full, so we're trying to be positive. It's coming to a tough time at Christmas, but our family and friends have been great. I think that's where we found solace, you know. How are your girls? Great. They're two great girls, yeah. They're great. They're great, Shannon and Kelly. Mm. Yeah, no, I know it was difficult for Shannon and the night itself. And, twice, was and very then poor good, old yeah. Kelly wasn't even in the country. That's no, a difficult no, phone Kelly. call to make. That's right. Kelly was in the States and Shannon is heading off to Australia on the 28th now for 12 months or so with her boyfriend. So she'll be gone for a while. But look, we have to move on and that's what Dylan would want us to do, you know. Mm. He's a very positive young fellow himself. So we'll, we'll take that on board going forward. Can I ask where the idea of a Dylan Quirk Foundation was first mooted? I'd say Hazel myself came up with that maybe a month or six weeks ago and we spoke to different people and I'd say it came from a lot of people have come and said what can we do is there anything we can do going forward and that's when we looked at the whole heart screening thing and that's when we set up the foundation Dylan Quirk Foundation and really that's what that's do Ron, is to raise awareness of sudden adult death syndrome sides there's two kids or two young adults a week dying, there's 100 people a year dying with it. And I think that people just don't know the GAC and at club level, even at county level, people don't realise the seriousness of it. And we're hoping that going for we think we can save lives of what we're going to do, you know. Do you think, and, and it's a medical question, so it might be a bit unfair to ask you, but there, are there any parallels between what happened Dylan and what happened, say, Cormac McAnallen, the Tyrone fullback who, who died suddenly in similar circumstances, albeit not on the field? Look, there were half issues, but I don't, I don't think so, actually. I think Cormac found out afterwards. I spoke to his mum since that it was hereditary, but okay. they didn't realise it until poor Cormac had passed, you know. So I don't think so. There are, there are probably different variances of, of heart problems. But no, I don't think anything to do with Cormac and Dylan's were, were different issues altogether, I believe. But they can be clumped together in, an, in, a, in the umbrella term of sudden adult. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. In absolutely, that. Yeah. There were two yeah. young men who were had fitness levels that, more, most of us could only ever dream of because they Correct. were playing inter-county and you'd think that they were in peak physical condition. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And they were in peak physical condition, you know. Both guys were and many more. And like Dylan, any test Dylan went for, fitness-wise Dylan was always well up there with, with, the, with the tip guys and, and, he's on the, and the club guys. So, And it never, it never, like when the pressure was on the tip during the summer, there wasn't any issues. So it's, it's really very difficult to pinpoint know where it started you know mm. really um so the foundation is looking to raise money to roll out a screening program for club county i mean how where do you start with something like this bearing in mind we how many people temporary six months time but it's, it's it's a free heart screening for all boys and girls from the ages of 12 upwards and we hope to we hope to cover the country we hope to start in Tipperary within six months so we started a fundraising we launched it yesterday and so far, it's been great. Really, very good. I think we've over forty k raised since yesterday. How how expensive 
uh, a screen, uh, you know, a process, is it? I'm just wondering, does the screening take the form of an ECG or does the screening take the form of something more invasive like a, a no, scan? An ECG, an echo and a okay. treadmill test. Okay. That's, it starts there and that, that costs, about a, it costs over 100, 100 euros. But we, we hope if we can raise enough funds, we think we can get the country covered in five years. And our immediate... I suppose our immediate look, we're looking for a million to start off with and take it from there. That's and like we've had, as I said, we've had hundreds and thousands of messages of people even in the last 24 hours. How can they help? And really, the only way to really help us at the minute is just is to get on the GoFundMe page and donate. It's gone, it's gone viral, which is great. And we'll be getting donations from all over the country and even outside the country. But as I said, the only way people can help at the minute is just to get on there and donate, you know? I understand as well that the tip... Kilkenny League match is going to be ring-fenced for fundraising for Dylan's foundation. It's, it's not actually, okay. no, it's, it's, it's a separate match. It's, it's, it's Sunday. Oh, I'm sorry, my apologies. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I think actually Tip play Kilkenny in the league the previous weekend. Okay. And this will be, the, this is a free Sunday, the 18th of February, yeah, so the 18th or 19th of February at 2 o'clock. And we'll hope to run a couple of different things on that day, but we're going to start with that anyhow, yeah. And where will that take place? Simple Stadium. Yeah, it's the only place, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I think I read somewhere that, you know, for yourself and Hazel, if you felt that you were to save one life, then everything that happens would be worthwhile. The fundraising would be worthwhile. The effort that'll go into rolling out this screening service would have been worthwhile. Absolutely, yeah. We, we, we believe we will save lives and it should, look, should be a beautiful legacy for Dylan if we could save even one life. For us going forward, we'd get great solace in that, and so would the girls, you know. I know, I know. Dan, um, there's a lot of support coming in for you and Hazel and your two girls at this time of the year on, on our text lines at the moment. Um, so the, there's a GoFundMe page. I'm sure if people just go into the GoFundMe webpage and Correct. search under Dylan Quirk, they'll be able to find that. Absolutely, yeah, that'd be great. And Ronan, thank you very much for giving us some air time. No, I, I mean, I, I look, all our hearts go out to you, Dan. Um, I was a big fan of your son when I watched him hurl. I watched him hurling when he was minor, under 21, senior, and got great joy from watching him hurl. And I know that you and your wife and your daughters and your extended family must have gotten huge joy and pride in that blue and gold jersey and like he started every championship game this year you know he did he did he did all we got tremendous enjoyment uh, over a number of years it was great absolutely yeah. like all parents would but he was he was just a lovely kid he was not just a son he was my best friend and sure he, he, we just had a great times together you know and god bless him yeah, we try and do everything we can for him and uh, for people going forward at this time of the year, Dan, we just wish you, yourself and Hazel the very, very best. And Thank God you, rest him. And if there's ever anything you need for at this end, just all you have to do is give us a buzz. Lovely. I appreciate everything. Thank you very much. All right, Thanks Dan. God bless. Talk. Thanks bye indeed. That's uh, Dan Quirk, um, father of the late, great mm-hmm. Dylan Quirk, or yesterday, Gureva Anam. We'll take a quick break. Extra time on Tip FM, brought to you by La Heart Skoda, the new name for Skoda in County Tipperary. Check out laheart.ie for their latest offers. in now. Yeah, don't forget those nominations. Just send them in to sportstar at tipfm.com. That's sportstar at tipfm.com. Um, lots to, still to come on tonight's show. I was talking earlier about Sean Tobin running that marathon in Antarctica and you know just to put it in context for listeners that 
marathon was run in temperatures of minus 14. But if you add in the wind chill factor as well, it was minus 22. And it was at altitude over 7,000 feet. And the underfoot conditions were pretty horrendous. And he ran it faster than anyone has ever run that marathon before. Broke the course record, two hours 47, I think it was. Something extraordinary like that. And uh, we hope to speak to Sean when he gets back to Ireland. As I said, he's in Santiago in Chile at the moment, as far as I know, and wasn't in a position to take a call tonight. But that is one of the most extraordinary sporting achievements you will see anywhere this year. And you add that to what Courtney Maguire did earlier on. I mean, what an, what a couple of months for Clonmel Athletic Club and what a couple of months for Tipperary Athletics. Tom McGrath's on the line. How are you, Tom? Good, Ronan. You know, at this time of the year, you often look back. This is our final show of 2023, 2022. And I, you think back over the hurling and football year and, you know, the hurling year, we'll come to the minors in a minute because that was quite extraordinary. But the seniors, just there was not... So little to talk about, so little to discuss in terms of what happened in our senior year. Um, so it, it's it's a case of looking forward into 2023 with some renewed optimism because there was so little to look back on in 2022. Well, I suppose that's the fair comment, all right. But 2022 was a lot of small marathons involved too, like that. Take the league campaign, for example, kind of messed up a bit against Dublin so the game I felt we should have won and had you won that one then to have coloured your thinking for the last couple of matches and you qualify for semi-finals then well it's, there's a different viewpoint and then on to the championship with the first match below in Watford probably won the better performances and small marriages again just went wrong like Yes, but then I think the next game was in the stadium against Clare and I seem to remember talking to William Maher after that match who felt utterly dejected, but he wasn't alone. There was a huge amount of dejection coming out of the stadium that day. Oh, there's no doubt about that because, you see, I think I made the point, Jordan, that the first match in the Munster League was against Kerry and I think you asked the question, well, sure, that what relevance at that? That match had no relevance unless it was applied to other results further down the road and that's what you had then after the Clare match that you had the Kerry match then you had the league campaign then you had the Limerick match or the Watford match and then the the, the, the Clare match was near, nearly bordered on the Beckel standards but just things went wrong in a couple of minutes as well like and just uh, there seemed to be a shutdown of the systems in spots like Yeah so I mean I, you know, it's a different dressing room now for 2023. Liam comes in, he's got Mikey Beavins with him, I think he's got Tony Brown with him, he's got Paulie Maher with him. You know, it's a different voices. It's How difficult is it to pick that up? Because the talent is there, because you've got multiple All-Ireland winners at underage and senior still in that dressing room. Yeah, and you're, you're probably going to have 80% of, or maybe 90% of, of the clientele that you had there last year. So it could be a question of self-motivation maybe on the part of some of them and then a different maybe game emphasis or tactical plan that will get more out of some of them and then how your injuries and things like that because 2022 you were devastated with injuries to key key players at the real wrong time and that includes the Paddy Maher injury like of course and yeah. coming on top of the Brendan Maher retirement but I'm not one for making a whole of excuses but but Brendan or Conor was dealt a, a fairly rough hand for a finish like when they were giving mm. out the cards Oh no doubt about it and he'd no Brian O'Mara he had no Niall O'Mara who were players that may well have been nailed on starters they had they had left the country and weren't available for selection you know, Yeah so but there were two 
said Kieran, um, Kieran Connolly and, and Brian O'Meara were two stand-up players in the championship and they were, they were lads that were being looked at had a very good uh, Fitzgibbon Cup campaigns with UL and you know nailed on starters you'd say but then they, they, they made their own decisions and when you, but them two things on their own wouldn't be a fierce problem only that you had the other problems associated with it so you had maybe seven or eight major problems like yeah indeed no doubt about it I, I fully accept your point in relation to Cullen Bonner in the hands of deck of cards he was dealt and how unlucky he was in relation to that um, I just go on to the football because I, I was thinking about this over the course of the weekend in relation to our football year and we got to a league final in Crow Park were unlucky to lose that I thought we should have won that match but played some really beautiful football in the league I remember the Sligo match I was at it the Carlo match and we, it, we there was shackles thrown off and I would in particular give great credit to Mark Russell and to a certain extent to Paddy Fian alongside him in midfield who suddenly looked like two young men young footballers who could play with without any um, I don't know with the shackles thrown off is what I'm trying to say yeah, with a bit of gay abandon, if you like. Better words, thank you, Tom. Yeah, and that was a, and that was a campaign that didn't start very auspiciously either. Like that, you know, you were lucky to get a get a pint out of Dungarvan the first evening, like, and then yeah, God, I don't know. Well, I, I, I raised that from memory banks actually, yeah. And how they got the two pints out of Wexford either, like, I mean, got eight scores to, and conceded fifteen scores, still won the match. That doesn't happen very often, like. So, I think again we got to Croke Park, Ronan. We had an awful lot of our football look used up and I suppose now to be fair David Power has a tough enough hand now for 23 that you're going up a division and he's going to have to find a few players as well because like, he's lost a few fellas yeah, indeed. Uh, and I suppose we'll wait and see what that panel announcement is is when it comes um, but getting the likes of his, top, his best 15 on the field is, is such a priority for him you know because we've seen that even if you look at the commercials performance, and I'm not trying to draw a parallel with the commercials performance against Nino and, and Tipperary, but there is something about us when we play with a little bit more joie de vivre. We do look at a really good footballing side. Yeah, well, part of our problem in the early stages would have been our transition play from first third third third. If we took, we were very laboured for a long time getting the ball from our own 45 to the opposition 45. Yeah. And uh, you didn't have a you didn't have a route one option, I suppose, really. And it's something maybe that we should be able to work on. But you, you need the players to to do that, and that all hinges on you having the full complement of players to draw from. No doubt about it. Stay where you are, Tom, because I'm also delighted to review the sporting year that was a little bit with James Woodlock, who's on the line. How are you, Woody? I'm good, one yourself. I'm well. You I, I was thinking a, a lot about the Munster final that went to penalties I was thinking about the last 90 seconds against Galway I was thinking about the last 5 seconds against Offaly uh, and it, you know much like the World Cup final yesterday if I if I brought that script to a Hollywood scriptwriter, he'd have thrown me out for being too corny It is uh, it's the way you'd want it written if you are to go and win a uh, minor All-Ireland isn't it and uh, to be honest Ron, I'd actually go back to the very first game against Waterford and as you said it's still the last 5 minutes there but that really springboarded us because, you know, you do all the training, you prepare as much as you can, but once you get that first championship win underneath the belt, uh, away from home, in tight circumstances, having been beaten by Waterford badly the year before, loads of scars going down, and to get that, it springboarded the year for us, you know what I mean? And uh, look, to the compliment to players, they bought in fully, and uh, look, it turned out to be a roller coaster of a year. It just rolled on. And uh, you just didn't want it to stop. So uh, but, it, but it, did it's you, nice now to enjoy it around Christmas. So when you left 
that Waterford match when you packed up your bags and left the dressing room did you feel okay was that something like we, we've started a narrative now or was did you get a, you couldn't have possibly have known what was to come all the way down the line when we eventually got to was it Port Leash no absolutely no, it was not Park, but, Park, yeah. no but that uh, victory was vital Ron your first victory Tom will even tell you even the round robin series for the seniors you know the first one is always vitally important because you know no matter what you tell the players and try to prepare them for it when you get that championship win it reflects really well on all the work you've done you say yeah there's something happening here and then you get proper buy-in full buy-in from the entire panel and, and the belief system comes and then the panel gets stronger because everyone wants to play it in you know and, and that's the way it was so look right after that Waterford win it actually we knocked it on on the head straight away got the players in really quickly into the dressing room because within seven days we're back out to, fi- uh, to face Clare again you know and then well we played Waterford again and arguably uh, the most complete performance was that night against Waterford the second time um, yeah, I suppose, you know, um, I, I'm i probably uh, old school in that way. I'd probably have liked our other victories, you know what I mean, where you had to hear and it went down to the wire. That one, look, was, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a brilliant victory because we got to hurl entirely and nobody tried to stop us hurling in that game and they let us go at it and we did that and we started really well. We had spoke about that we'd beat Waterford down there. They wanted to come up you know, and uh, give us a, a taste of the same medicine. And the boys were really tuned in. I remember a couple of days before that run, we, we had played a, an internal game and it was the best we played all year. And I just knew we were really right and it, and the performance came from that, you know what I mean? And when we got on top of Watford, they kept the foot on the throttle all the time, you know. But for me, looking back, um, Ronan, and I, I do plan to do it around Christmas, I'll watch all in games back, but for me, the Galway game, it, maybe there's one or two senior games to match it, but I thought it was an unbelievable spectacle from both sets of players what's producing that all Ireland semi final was just because both sets of players win fifteen and fifteen and just hurl they allowed us hurl and we probably allowed them to hurl a bit too much as well. But it was a an excellent display because the day before I had the quarterfinals in Torres and they were uh, senior quarterfinals and they were a dour spectacle yeah. to watch and just what the minors produced for seventeen year olds. Some of them were fifteen year olds one mm. turned sixteen to later on actually. And um you know, I, I, I thought it was just a brilliant spectacle. And obviously, look, when you come down to the final, an All-Ireland final, the, the powers that be want to take it out of Croke Park, take the pressure off the players, and they turned it into a bigger monster completely to fill Nolan Park out for the first time ever. And uh, obviously, yeah. off they bought a huge crowd and, and tip, you know, yearning for a win as well, uh, bought a, a huge crowd and... Uh, it just turned out to be one of those years where maybe we got the, a scrape look along the way and it was brilliant and, you know, we found a way to win it. Tom, thinking back on that minor campaign, it was extraordinary. What was your memory? Stand yeah, well, I suppose James covered there. The, the, the defining one is the first, the, your first match sets a, sets a tone. Like, and it asks questions of fellas and you, you kind of... You, you learn you learn what's in your in your camp then. I mean, we the question arose about the footballers. Was it a pint lost or a pint dropped the first night below in Watford? If we thought it was a pint lost, but it turned out it was a pint gain because ultimately it was a pint that got you into the final. But no, the, the minors learned to the hard to the hard learning core for them though, but it was a super match or super competition to win the way it was won with all the different results and the twists and turns. It'll it'll make if you could do um a kind of a highlights reel of it I said to, to make some viewing like 
Yeah, well, I think James is going to edit it for us over the Christmas and put it out. Might need a couple of hours to, <laughs> or a reel to do it because well, there was so it, many. It, like. It's what you're going to leave out, yeah. That's what makes yeah, it absolutely that's the problem, fantastic. Like, yeah. Yeah. And Ronan, one of the pleasing things, you know, from that win, you know, we, we won on the 3rd of July and I think on the fifth, the 6th of July I was back out watching uh, under-19 games, you know, to have a look for, mm. to see what I was around for next year and pleasing aspect for me was the way those miners performed for the clubs when they went back and you know that's the talk around the county actually if you delve into the clubs uh, the way they went back and put it in for the clubs and uh, as Tom and all your listeners will know you, you come from your club you represent them first and then everything else after that is an absolute bonus and achievement but it was brilliant that the way they went back and hurled for the clubs after that and showed complete leadership mm-hmm. after winter All-Ireland it was easy to throw the head up there but not that bunch of players humble bunch went back and, and hurled really well for the clubs Well James uh, I think you know for all of us who love hurling love watching it and love talking about it you gave us so many stories you gave us so much to talk about over the course of the year and to end up with the the, the Irish Press Cup as well at the end of it just added the cherry on top so Carty's uh, congratulations I've congratulated you a hundred times now at this stage but uh, to your players and your backroom staff that was the joyous moment I think Paddy McCormick's audaciousness in in Nolan Park. Uh, enjoy your Christmas dinner. Enjoy that highlights reel and uh, uh, sending love to everyone up in Drummond Inch as well. Absolutely, I will of course. And uh, you know, Ron, thanks me for all the support throughout, throughout the year. And again, Merry Christmas to yourself and all your listeners. And please God, next year will be another good year for Tip with both. You know, the minors coming through, brilliant under twenty team coming, and the seniors. Yeah, back that, up and I tell really you, strong. you're sending lads up to Brendan, making him. I think he's working on a panel at the moment and uh, that's not an easy task for him either there's a lot of young no, no because you, you know what he had you know wasn't that far off year and come, yeah and was not fair and he has a brilliant panel of players you know and then to add in last year's minors into him yeah. you know I, I just hope that they can play as well as they can for him and Claude both well for Tip Horton going forward because the food chain is going up you know and it's all about you know these players getting them up the, uh, into Liam Carr's ranks and uh, the performance senior levels for Tip Right lads Tom and and, uh, and and Woody thank you both happy Christmas to you both we'll talk to you next year James Woodlock Tom McGrath with a quick Curling review. We'll take a break. We'll have some r- more after this. On Tip FM, brought to you by La Heart Skoda, the new name for Skoda in County Tipperary. Check out laheart.ie for their latest offers. Don't forget our text number 083-311-3311. Lots of really good sports books out at this time of the year, as you can imagine. If you're looking for a stocking filler and you have somebody in your life interested in rugby, then I would have to direct you towards The Ref's Call, Memoir of a Rugby Referee, written by Owen Doyle. And uh, delighted to say Owen is on the line, joins me this evening. How are you, Owen? Hi, Ronan. Thanks very much for having me on. Not at all. I really could talk to you for the full hour, but time (laughs) doesn't allow for that, I'm afraid. So I'm just going to... First and foremost... I've often made the point that I suppose when you look at refereeing in rugby and refereeing in other codes, that in rugby you apply the laws of the game while in other codes you enforce the rules. Do you think that there is an inherent difference in the language I've just used that makes rugby refereeing different? Yeah, it, it, it did for a long time. And I'm afraid now because of what the coaches want and the the difference between when I was refereeing as an amateur and what's happening now, we would turn a blind eye to stuff. Now, less and less at rugby are they willing to turn a blind eye to stuff that I would call as not material to events. I mean, if a jumper catches the ball in the line-out in rugby now and he gets a little nudge, but he still lands and feeds the ball to the scrum half, you'll see the referee's arm is out 
for a potential penalty, which he'll go back to if there hasn't been advantage. Mm. Um, and the advantage law is something that's been completely scuppered uh, by the current way they're refereeing it. That unless there's a try scored, uh, they go back for a penalty. There's I mean, huge inter-variation as well between referees. You will have some who will allow maybe two phases to develop and then announce an advantage over, and others perhaps give it a little bit more leniency. Exactly, exactly. I mean, one of my points that I've been arguing uh, with with World Rugby for years about this now, I said, why don't you go back to the old days? And they said, well, it's inconsistent. And you've just told, told, told us now, it's inconsistent anyway. Is it two phases or three phases? What's the rationale? Mm. Whereas in the old days, if someone like Brian O'Driscoll made a clean line break, he's off down the, the end of the pitch, he makes 10 or 12 metres, 20 metres, and he passes to the wing who drops it, it was the knock-on for dropping the pass. Yeah, now it's back we'll to back. the penalty. I mean, can you imagine when Hogg, the Scottish fullback, dropped the ball over the Irish line? Nobody was within a circumference of like 20 metres of him, and he dropped the ball, and he got a penalty under the post for some minuscule offside uh, by Ireland. I mean, it's crackers. It is, but I suppose the real thing I want to talk to you about is what's happening at the moment with regards to head injuries. We're seeing repercussions for that. You're seeing Steve Thompson now suffering from a significant mental health disorder in the form of um, early onset dementia, and he's aged in his early 40s. Ryan Jones, the former uh, Wales and Lions back row forward also with mm. uh, with very early onset dementia. And then look at the Autumn Internationals. You see the tackle yeah. uh, DuPont on, on, this, on the South African winger. He lands on his head. He gets a four-week ban. That's reduced to two. What kind of message does that send out? Oh, it, it, sends out, it sends out a dreadful message. And I mean, I was at a function in Black Rock Rugby Club the other day and the amount of people who came up to me and asked me the same question would you let your son play rugby today? Because they've children of their own now and they're making up their mind and they've grandchildren and everybody watches this. And if you go to a schools match now, you see a facsimile of what you see in the European Cup. I mean, I think last weekend, the weekend just passed, there have been five red cards and three sightings. That's eight dangerous tackles to be considered. And the previous weekend, it was the same. And I know I said in the Irish Times, you know, I have a column there. Does anybody really care? Because if you don't stop it, we're heading for the NFL. Millions watching and not too many people wanting to play. It's too tough. Yeah. Um, But is there ways to resolve this before, you know... Can you close the stable door before that horse gets out? The reason I'm asking this is because Mm. the tackle... In the old days, Simon Gagan used to run around people. Nowadays, yeah. people just run over people. Yeah, well, there, there are three things here. You've got, to, you've got to lower the tackle height without making it obligatory. Because if you go into somebody's hip when you shouldn't go into their hip, you're going to get hurt. Um, and we saw um, Faf de Clare hitting somebody's knee. He went low. Uh, but what they're trying to do is wrap the arms, the upper arms of the player so he can't offload the ball. That's got to go. The clearing out of players has bit by bit, Ronan, over the last seven, eight, nine years, become, well, I can can hit him, I can bind on him, I can push him away, into this dreadful clearing out of players. Uh, And we hear players making the excuse, well, I have nowhere else to go. Well, if you have nowhere else to go, you don't do that. I mean, we saw Peter O'Mahony being sent off, we saw Fadgerson from Scotland, 
it just goes on and on and on. You see um, Bundy Aki getting a significant ban when he was playing for Connacht because of the way, and it's like something, you know, maybe it's a Southern Hemisphere thing, the way that they go into that mm. to try and attack the jackal when he comes over the ball, you're almost attacking his shoulder and neck area. You, absolutely, and, and you mentioned Ryan Jones. I mean, how quickly has, he, has, has all that been forgotten? You know, it, it seems to be like most news these days. It, it's a flash in the pan and we forget it. But And you're quite right, and I'm glad you brought it up. There's a wonderful player, and he's not the only one suffering from dementia. And it's a terrible thing. I mean, I look at rugby, and it all starts off at uh, mini rugby. Kids, seven, eight, uh, girls, boys, and they're going home with their arms around each other. The, you know, the odd bloody nose, the scraped knees. They've had a great time. And suddenly it gets too serious. And that's why parents are asking. Mm. Uh, and parents are right to ask. <clears throat> I mean, p- part of the thing that's going to happen in the next three or four years, and I think I, I do mention it in the book, is that they'll be able to analyse the brain much more in much more detail. So the CTE, which you can't, it has to be a post-mortem examination now. You have to have a, a dead yeah. person. Uh, and Steve Thompson has left his brain. To, to science but in the future in three or four years time apparently you're going to be able to see that much more or you know before people are dead so can you imagine that's an extraordinary statement being, just in yeah. analyse your sentence there you can do that before people are dead you're talking about some people who are playing this for fun at junior level or amateur level you know absolutely yeah uh, so, Owen I unfortunately I, I can't commend your book enough <laughs> I, I want to congratulate you on it and there's so much well, you're more. Very good. I'm, I, there's so much more I can talk to you about. But maybe when the rugby season comes around again, and some incidents arise, we may touch base with you just to get some further analysis on them. And thank you for your time tonight. And I'm sorry well, about well, the brevity. No, no, I'd be delighted to do that. Thank you very thanks much. Thanks indeed, Owen. Take care and thanks for that. Bye. That's the refs call a memoir of a rugby referee by Owen Doyle. And uh, I, you know, if you're interested in what's happening in rugby and what can be done to fix it and what small changes can be done to fix it, I would commend that to you. Oh eight three three double one double three double one. Before I, just as I came on air, I spoke to you about Sean Tobin and the Antarctic Ice Marathon. Let's talk to a man who has actually ran that marathon, Seamus Hennessy, Kilaran McDonough's. How are you? Hi, Ronan. How's it going? What's your memory of that race and what was your reaction when you heard that Sean had run it in two hours 47, I think? Yeah, so I, I would you believe I actually only, um, I, only read, I only heard that statement. I was listening to the Sunday paper review out for a run tonight and they were talking about um, that he broke the record. I mean, it's it's incredible because <laughs> I can guarantee you, I don't think I, I wasn't even inside uh, what would have been double the time it took him to do it. So, um, yeah, well, it was an incredible achievement, albeit he, he's a phenomenal runner. Yeah, he isn't... Shorter distances and that kind of linked, but I mean, it's, um, it's incredible because when I was there, um, I was rooming, well, rooming, sorry, I stayed in a tent for the three or four nights of my life in Australia, who was a very serious amateur runner, and he had thought, you know, a chance he met it was a guy from Poland who was that kind of was a semi-professional runner, and they knew, we all knew he'd win the race, and yeah, we were there. And they said if he came close to three hours, it would be phenomenal. And this was 2018. You know, the weather was bad, not particularly bad. The conditions were particularly difficult, so it probably did throw very good runners down. And, you know, I, I can't remember how long it took the guy who wanted, did he get inside three or was close to it. But, you know, Sean Tobin, it went 2.47, I think is what he, what he ran it in. I mean, it's, 
Yeah. yeah, the guy who came second was half an hour behind him, but before, wow. <laughs> which I think is extraordinary. The other thing is, can you just describe the conditions? Because it's at 7,000 metres, sorry, 7,000 feet as well. So it's not, it's, that's about the same altitude as Mexico City. In, you know, the wind chill factor can put it down to minus 22. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I mean, um, you know, obviously it's 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 in a camp, and you know, there's people who are kind of there, lots of the year, meteorologists and stuff studying the weather in Antarctica. It's also a set-off point for lots of people who are kind of crossing the South Pole and in different guises and forms. And it was it got down to minus 27 the year I was there, and on the day we actually ran the race, it was it was really tough. I mean, you could see maybe I can't remember. You could probably only see kind of 100, 150 metres ahead and you're obviously, you know, you're wearing your full winter gear and the snow is covering your face and you're covering most of your eyes and it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just very, very hard um, yeah. and the time I did it, it was four 10k loops, but sometimes, I think some years they do two loops, so a half marathon each turn, but for us, because of the conditions, it was four 10k loops and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really difficult challenge um, and well, you obviously you know that going and yeah, prepare as you yeah. can. But I mean, there's a certain element of there's a certain element of um, you know, what's going to come or how you react to it when you get there. I guess we actually got a little unlucky on the day because the weather had been pretty benign before us, and then it took quite a turn on the day of the race. And we actually just about got out of Antarctica and the uh, flight out to get back to mainland Chile. Or else we, we were going to be under pressure to get home in time for Christmas. So it was a very um, very unique. Well, Seamus, thanks for your insights into it. You're the only other person I know who's ran it. So uh, maybe when we've shown in the studio, we might bring the two of you on to to, to swap memories. Seamus, stay well and congratulations on your uh, your your march towards Dan Breen this year. We'll chat to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Happy Christmas. And many happy returns, Seamus. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Seamus Hennessy there, the only other person I know who's run that Antarctic challenge. Uh, let's just finish off tonight by having a quick word with Alan Quillen who's online. Alan, how are you? I'm good, Ronan, yourself? I'm very well. I'm really well. And I don't know if you heard, we just had a piece with Owen Doyle. We were talking about refereeing. We are talking about challenges to, or changes that might be necessary to, to rugby to try and make it a little safer. We might come back to that in a minute, but first, what's more important perhaps is that we talk about Munster. Munster getting back to winning ways with that 17-6 win over Northampton. What did you see in this that you didn't see against Toulouse in Thoman the previous week? Uh, I think they started the game really well and their intent and physicality was was impressive and I think this group of players have played now probably three weeks on the trot and Munster have had a lot of problems at the start of the season with lots of chopping and changing. So I think they've become pretty cohesive, particularly defensively in the effort that they had to put in the second half. But unfortunately, um, they dropped the ball a bit and they gave away too many penalties and made life difficult for themselves. I think just after half time, you're thinking there's a possible bonus point win here. They were pretty dominant and um, they just made too many mistakes and errors then. But uh, I think they can take a lot out of the defensive effort, but they'll be frustrated and disappointed with, with, with some of the attack and, and protecting the ball. Mm. I, I return to form for Gavin Coombs, who has been a little off the boil since he came back from Ireland camp, I thought. Yeah, definitely. He he two tries and he had lots of involvement, lots of big carries and some good turnovers as well. So that's certainly a welcome for for everybody in Munster and Irish rugby. I think, you know, there's he's huge potential. He's very big and strong and physical and 
he stood up to a physical Northampton side who were quite cynical at times and they pushed it right to the edge their their aggressiveness and uh, their you know it was a it was a very very I wouldn't say a dirty game but it was a niggly game all the way through and uh, he stood up to that and uh, was very very important for Munster yesterday as as the rest of the pack but I think the conditions were very difficult so I think if there's any mitigation there it was it was lashing rain most of the game it was cold it was a wind blown um, they were away from home and playing against a side who really made it difficult for them at times. But I would have liked to see Munster, you know, use their dominance in that first half. They had a lot of territory in possession and get more scores on the board. But it wasn't to be. And I think if you were given the the result beforehand to say that you'd win 17-6 away from home, they certainly would have taken that. Yeah, I think that's fair. And also the 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 performance during the yellow cards... Um, does that give you sense that you know there's a togetherness in that team that you know that even down a man down that there is something else in there that can perhaps withstand that? Yeah, well, they're showing a bit of grit and determination, aren't they? And that's really important, I think. And that's all Munster fans want to see. I think the reality is, Ronan, they're not going to win the European Cup. Um, probably not going to win the URC, but there's been a lot of chopping and changing and, and game plans and new coaches, new players. Um, so when you can defend like that and show that kind of togetherness in when there's a fair bit going on and they're they're in a bit of adversity, um, I think that's really important and they can build on that. You know, there's there's things that you can pat each other on the back in the dressing room and say we dug in together here. Was that something you used? You know, yourself, yeah, and definitely. Paul I and Anthony Foley's. That yeah, one of one of our big um, templates was being really hard to break down and and being. Have a have a big work rate and be strong defensively, and not give up easy scores and make it difficult for people. And I think that's my memories, and it comes back to me a lot. Is you know when you're in the south of France, away from home, the crowd are on top of you. You you know it's you're playing against a very dangerous side, or their tails are up. You've got to hang on. You've got to hang on at times to win those games, and those defensive moments actually get you across the line. And um, you know it's tiring. Uh, for the for for the opposition, it's also tiring when you're defending. But I think when they were down to 13 players, um, they showed that great determination that's required. And it's a basis for any um, strong team who wants to get better and contest trophies and win and improve. You know, mm. there's no point in scoring loads of tries if you're conceding loads of tries. But I think defensively has been one of the big positives this year. There's lots of other stuff that's um, they're a little bit naive and protecting the ball and losing a couple of lineups when they get into attacking areas. There's certainly lots to work on, but it's it's something to build on and I'm, and you know, that fight determination is really important for any side. So um they still have a lot of work to do and um they're being ambitious in the way they're trying to attack and play and look, I think if if they get to the knockout stages of both competitions I think it'll be seen as a good season yeah. given the turmoil that we saw at, at the start of it. Yeah, Alan, I got to fly, but listen, happy Christmas to you and yours and thanks for all your efforts and contributions over the course of the year. Many happy returns, Ron, to you and your listeners. Thanks Take indeed. care. That's Alan Quillen joining us there and on behalf of myself and my producer, Ian O'Connor, happy Christmas to you all. We'll talk to you in 2023. Good night and good luck.